Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, believers and non-believers. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to tell you about a podcast that I know you'll love. My friend Chelsea Weber-Smith is the brilliant host of American Hysteria. It's a scripted podcast about moral panics, conspiracy theories, and fantastical thinking, and explores our nation's history through the lens of the false things we fear and the outrageous things we often believe. Seriously, there couldn't be a more timely show than this. I mean, when are we not freaking out? Out over something in this country, right? Chelsea uses exhaustive research, sociological analysis, personal stories, and dark humor to explain what informs our collective panics. Things like stranger danger, the war on drugs, poison Halloween candy, and one of my personal favorite episodes, talking to the dead. And they have a fantastic two-part analysis on the satanic panic that you definitely don't want to miss. Chelsea is a charming treasure of a human being, and I know you'll love this show. You can now binge all of season one and two, and season three is already out. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. That's American Hysteria. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome to the first season of my new show, where I'll be sharing a multicultural perspective on the supernatural. If after the show you feel compelled to share a story, need paranormal advice, or want to share interesting paranormal news, send an email to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. This is an independently run podcast. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, such as a tarot reading from me. Have you ever felt like you were cursed? Where does this misfortune actually come from? Is it inflicted upon us from a higher being or from our fellow humans? In this week's episode, I'll be discussing black magic and curses. First, I'll share a story from a young woman who was cursed on Sikihor Island. Then, we'll speak with Lynn Pacificar, a Filipino shaman who successfully invoked an entity to carry out a hex. And finally, I'll speak with Michelle Davis, whose family was followed by the hat man for years. Chapter 1. Bewitched in Sikihor it wasn't until last year that I learned of Sikihor, an island in the Philippines south of Cebu, where my family is from. I've been to the Philippines numerous times, but was surprised that I had never heard of this place, because it is a 100% my brand. 
an island where witchcraft and natural healing practices prevail. There's a mixed reaction among Filipinos regarding the island. Some think the rituals and practices are nothing more than an entertaining ruse to swindle tourists out of their money. But there are still some who are terrified of the island and stay away at all costs. The following true story from Sam will have you either running from or running to this island. Sikihor has a reputation of being an island of witchcraft and sorcery, but I didn't think much of this when I booked my trip there. I focused on the blue waters, stunning sunsets, and waterfalls that I kept seeing on Instagram. In my mind, the witches of Sikihor were a thing of the past, like way back in the 17th century. I had no idea they still somehow existed in our day and age. Unfortunately, I learned this the hard way. My experience in Sikihor is absolutely mad, and you may think I'm insane. I've been debating with myself for the past eight months about whether or not I should share it, but here goes. My boyfriend and I arrived in Sikihor on a Saturday afternoon and spent the day at our hotel, Blue Wave Inn. Don't go there. We rented a scooter for the following day and rode to Salagdong Beach. It was a long weekend, so there were a lot of Filipinos on the beach participating in their favorite activities, karaoke and eating. After about an hour, I started to feel unwell. I suddenly had a high fever. We managed to get back to the hotel where I spent the rest of the day sleeping. I kept taking paracetamol and ibuprofen to get the fever down, but nothing was working. My boyfriend was very worried and wanted me to see a doctor. He brought me to the ER at a provincial hospital, but there was no doctor since it was Sunday. The nurses told us to come back the following day. I got even sicker during the night with severe diarrhea and woke up very weak and still with high fever. We returned to the hospital and were finally able to see a doctor. She wanted to hospitalize me, but I refused. If you had seen the hospital, there was blood on the floor, patients in beds in the hallway, children with bad injuries getting stitches in front of everyone. I told her I just needed medication and would rest at our hotel. We went to the hospital pharmacy to get medication and a container for a stool exam, which is when I fainted in the hallway. My boyfriend brought me to the ER where the doctor put me on drips. I had to stay there for a few hours until the fever finally broke and I passed stool, which was tested, and showed that I had amoeba. The doctor prescribed a five-day treatment and said I would start to feel better within 48 hours. I returned to the hotel and rested for the next few days. My Filipina mom lives in Manila and came over to Sikihor. After five days of treatment, I was still very sick with severe diarrhea and was feeling extremely weak and nauseous. We moved on to Bohol, as planned, where two of my mom's best friends, Ray and Benji, joined us. I was having an extremely hard time eating because of the nausea. I spent my days sleeping and on the toilets. We decided to go see another doctor in Bohol. She sent me to the ER and immediately put me on drips. Indeed, I was severely dehydrated and it was becoming quite dangerous. 
I was hospitalized for two nights and did more exams, but nothing showed I had amoeba. In fact, nothing was coming up in the results. I had some bacteria in my stool, but otherwise, nothing that could explain why I was still this unwell. After four bottles of IV fluids, not to mention the 1.5 liters a day I was also drinking, and over a week of medication, I was still very sick and having diarrhea about three to four times a day. I had no appetite and could not eat, even though I was perfectly conscious that I had to just force myself because I had lost a lot of weight in only a matter of days and I was extremely weak. I would cry in front of my plate, and it would take me over an hour to gulp down five spoons of rice. Ray, my mom's friend, was worried because he knew about Sikihor's reputation with witches. He had heard that bad things happen there, and a lot of Filipinos are actually afraid to go to Sikihor because it is apparently full of bad spirits. Ray suggested I see an Arbolario, a faith healer or witch doctor. My mom and I both laughed it off at first. We are not superstitious and don't believe in that kind of stuff. But since I wasn't getting any better, we figured, what's the harm in trying? Unfortunately, since I was hooked to an IV, I could not leave the hospital. So Ray brought the dress I was wearing to the Arbolario, who was able to practice his magic and see what happened to me. The Arbolario said I had two bullet marks in me, two curses. One from an evil fairy who fancied me, and the second from a human being I had actually spoken to in person, and who apparently was envious of my beauty. That made me eye-roll. Now, this is where you may think I'm crazy, but the day I got sick at the beach, a Filipina came up to me, touched my shoulder, and asked if I would take a photo. Thinking she wanted me to take a photo of her, I said yes, and was just wiping my hands dry before grabbing her phone when she sat next to me and took a selfie with me. When I asked her why she was doing this, she simply said, nothing, nothing, and walked off. My high fever started about 30 minutes after that encounter. And then, the day we arrived in Sikihor, one of my fingers randomly turned blue. The hotel manager where we stayed said that some guests the previous week got sick like me, and a part of their leg turned blue. When I returned to Manila, I was speaking to a lot of my mom's Filipino friends and realized they all had a story about fairies, witches, and dwarves and were also healed by an arbolario. One of them had a similar story to mine, where her foot had turned blue and an arbolario healed her. So the arbolario asked these two beings to lift the curses they had put on me. They agreed, but they wanted an offering in exchange. The fairy asked for a black hen, whereas the human being asked for five days of prayer. It took my mom's friends about a day and a half to find a black hen. Apparently, these are very rare. I didn't know when the hen was sacrificed, but on my last day in behold, I woke up and was starving. My appetite had returned with a vengeance, and my stools were getting better. An hour after my appetite came back, Ray called us to say that the hen had been sacrificed and it coincided with when I suddenly felt like eating again. 
It took me another full week and another checkup trip to a very good hospital in Manila to feel completely better as my body had been through quite a lot. So, do you think I got cursed? Or do you think it was a medical issue that was not found? Or something else entirely? The weird thing is, as soon as the doctor in Bahol had heard that I had just arrived from Sikihor, she refused to touch me. My mom blatantly asked her as well as the nurse that was taking care of me if, as doctors and therefore scientific-minded people, they believed in witches and all these stories coming out of Sikihor. Neither one of them would give her a straight answer, and judging by the way they were acting, it was quite clear they thought I had been cursed. I have seen a lot of people on Instagram go to Sikihor and were totally fine, so maybe I just got unlucky. I have also heard some people say that tourists in Sikihor get poisoned. For example, a waitress could put poison under her nails and slip it in your food. Then, when they see you're sick, they tell you they know a healer and will bring you to them, and you'll have to pay for that. If this is what actually happened to me, then the only place I ate at was our hotel, the Blue Wave Inn, which is why I would not recommend going there. If you do decide to go to Sikihor, just be extremely careful and stay at very good hotels, even if it means it costs more. There's no price for staying safe and healthy. And if someone touches you, the saying is to touch back to cancel any spell or illness. I did not do this to the woman at the beach who touched me. The Arbolario also said that powers were handed down from generation to generation. He got his good powers from his mother, who was previously a healer. He explained that some people hand down bad powers to their children, who don't necessarily want to hurt people, but if they don't, then they're the ones that get cursed themselves. On a scale of 1 to 10, how insane do you think I am? Do you believe in this? I know I didn't, until it happened to me. You can read Sam's travel and photography blog in the show notes, mindfulwanderlens.com. Chapter 2. Don't mess with me. Okay, wait. Okay, so this is what happened. We had a tenant in our back house. This is Lynn Pacificar, Filipino shaman. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure you do after this to learn more about Lynn and her work. We, we um, what do you call it? It's like a, a, it's a conversion studio. Yeah, we converted one part of the garage. So that's where he lived. And then Gilbert worked on the other side. Gilbert is Lynn's husband. He wasn't paying the rent. He wasn't leaving. We would serve him notices and he was just not receiving. He was not listening. As a matter of fact, he was really abusive to our place. And so being that person, that spiritual, magical person I am, I conducted a type of ritual that involved like a poppet or a doll. And I invoked a spirit to help me get rid of this person from my home. It was just no longer a happy place to be with that energy living around us. So Gilbert was in the garage one night and he heard footsteps on the roof of the garage. 
like heavy footsteps. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. And then it stopped at a certain point. And he was like, oh my gosh, I have to tell Lynn. And he sneaks out quietly from the garage to get to me and says, come here, come here. There's somebody on the roof. And I ended up getting one of our samurai swords and my other cousin who lived with us at the time got something. We all just got something to hit someone with because we don't know who's on the roof. We go out and you can't see anybody. It's dark, but you see movement in our big rubber tree. It was a huge tree and you'll see the leaves moving as if somebody was there. I went around the back and I climbed to see what was there and then Gilbert was spraying the the roof with water and when he was spraying the roof with water it would move and so I want to make sure it was like not anyone that um was there because I was like what? who would be able to do this like come onto our property anyway long story short no one was there on the roof I jumped back down met Gilbert on the other side of the garage and we were like, could it be that tenant? Like, that's so weird. And then all of a sudden the tenant walks in from the gate and we're all looking at him and like, oh my gosh. Needless to say, not too long after that, like he left without a word. Lynn believes that whatever entity she invoked paid a visit to the tenant and scared him enough to finally move out of the studio. But I had to release that entity and spirit that helped us and I was like okay thanks that was freaky but I guess that it works don't mess with someone who can do magic and for everyone who's messed with me I'm just kidding (laughs) I'm just kidding Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3 In the Shadows 
I used to be afraid of the dark because I knew that's where he hid. The locked attic, the unlit end of the hallway, the shadowy doorway of my bedroom, he was there. And over the years, it was almost as if he had become my shadow, always following closely, but never too close. He kept his distance, hovering, watching, waiting, waiting for what I don't know. I asked him to leave, but he ignored me. I yelled and screamed, but he wouldn't budge. I asked for help, but no one else seemed to see the threat because he wasn't doing anything. My sleepless nights, my endless paranoia, my shaky hands, my problem. I needed to learn how to ignore him. So I trained myself to never stare too long into the darkness, to accept the feeling of eyes on my back as part of my routine, to welcome him into my home. I'm no longer afraid of the dark. I've gotten so good at ignoring him that sometimes I forget he's there. I mean, if he wanted to hurt me, he would have already. What's the harm in letting him stick around? Right? Chapter 4. The Hat Man. Hi, I'm Michelle Davis. I'm from Newbury Park, California. Michelle is an old friend from high school. I remember her mentioning some chilling experiences her and her family had when she was younger, and so I invited her on the show to share them. One of my earliest memories is being really afraid of the dark, but for no reason. I never wanted to be in my room because I would always see these shapes kind of moving around. Uh, we weren't on a main road or anything, so looking back, there really weren't like any reasons for there to be like moving shadows or anything of that nature. Um, but being that I couldn't see as a kid, I just before I had glasses, uh, my parents pretty well just attributed it to the fact that I was had an overactive imagination. Uh, but it wasn't until we moved into our new house that um, all those shadows and things started manifesting into other things. So we moved in 1994, uh, right after the uh, Northridge earthquake. But we did find uh, when we were digging the foundation for the house that there was like a 100-year-old barn floor under where we were going to be building the footprint of the house. As a kid, I wouldn't really sleep through the night. When we moved in, it got so much worse. And uh, this was from about age six to nine. I just wouldn't sleep through the night. The entrance to the attic was right next to my room. And I would always hear noises upstairs, like in the attic. And I would, I thought, again, this might be overactive kid brain. I would think that I would hear the attic door open. And there's nothing up there. Like, it's just another room, basically, with storage. But I would freak out and, like, run past the door to, like, my parents' room. And I was always fine if I was around people. But the minute I was by myself, I would get super creeped out. I'll have to tell you how our house is constructed because otherwise this doesn't make sense so in the house it's a two-story house you walk in the front door and immediately to your right is the living room immediately in front of you is the dining room which has sliding doors that's usually shut and immediately to your left is the staircase now if you walk towards the dining room there is a hallway between the dining room and the stairs and that's how you get to the kitchen and the uh, family room breakfast nook all that Once you walk upstairs, you uh, double back 
the um what do you call the master bedroom is right there you keep walking there's a landing where my sister's room is and then there's a hallway and my room is in the hallway it goes my room bathroom my dad's office the very end of the hallway is the laundry room so it's a long like dark hallway because no there's no windows in the hallway and um I was always afraid to go upstairs because when I would turn to go into my room I would see a figure standing at the end of the hallway and it was always the same it was a man about maybe six two to six four wearing a hat black trench coat black boots had his hands in his pockets and his head was cast down so you couldn't see his face but it always felt like he was looking at you and I hated going upstairs and I never really told my parents about it because at that point I was like cognizant enough to be like okay my parents hate it when I bring this stuff up because they don't think I'm telling the truth and uh so they think I'm just you know imagining things like go upstairs get ready for bed like stop whining but it was like every single time I would go upstairs and when I would try to look at him, he would not be there. And this went on for years. Once my sister was a little bit older um, and able to talk, because she hated going upstairs also. She was saying uh, one night at dinner, like my mom was trying to get re- her get, to get ready to go to bed. And she was about five at this time. And uh, she goes, no, I don't want to go upstairs. The man. My mom's not having any of this. And she's just like, you need to stop you need to go upstairs right now and so she goes to uh, go up the stairs and just starts screaming and runs back she goes i saw the man i saw the man he's by the door and so my dad thinks there's some dude like creeping in the windows or something so he like you know dad hulks out and like goes to the front door and there's nothing there and my sister's like inconsolable at this point she's crying and like can't talk so we tried to get her to kind of describe this person she saw because my dad at this point still thinking there's somebody in the window there's somebody in the neighborhood like we need to call the cops you know and she's like the man with the hat the man with the black hat i'm eating dinner still and i choked because i was like oh shit she's seeing it too while we're kind of drawing this story out of her, she's saying, like, no, I see him in my room. And at this point, my, both my parents' faces are just like, what the fuck? And, um, you know, and my dad goes kind of white and didn't explain this to us until, like, a year ago. <laughs> so, but he had been seeing this figure also. He'd been seeing it outside. Both my dad and my sister were also seeing this figure in just different parts of the house. So we are, my dad and I are kind of independently going, okay, what the hell? And um, so I'm about 13 at this point. Uh, So it got to a point where I was seeing it outside of the house because it was started ramping up more and more and more and more. Um, I remember being in a bookstore um, and I was crouched down looking at some display and I saw the boots next to me. And I looked at it. And I, I just I looked out of the corner of my eye and I just slowly turned my head and I could see it very, very clearly like black combat boots. It looked like a straight up real person, like correct shading and the lighting and everything. Like it looked real. Like I thought somebody was just standing really, really close next to me. But I got this horrible feeling. Like right when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. And I turned around as fast as I could and there was nothing there. 
I was just totally wigged because I was like, oh my God, this thing's following me now. Because I would get the same feeling every single time I would see it. It was like this feeling of dread. And it was a real visceral, like, pity your stomach, like, you think you're going to throw up kind of fear. Immediately afterwards, it would just, like, give this adrenaline rush. Like, like you felt like you were going to die, almost. And it was every single time I would encounter this thing. So I got that same exact feeling when that happened. And the fact that I was able to look at it was more disconcerting because that was the first time I actually looked directly at it. And so it had been escalating up until that point. So I was thinking, oh my God, like what's next? So several months go by. We are in October about this point. So it's starting to get kind of cold out. I remember that much. So I had just gotten into uh, like junior high, high school and I would carpool home. I would get dropped off and I'd be home alone for several hours and I hated it. Because especially in the wintertime, you know, it's dark when I get home and it's just creepy. And I know my parents aren't going to be home for a couple of hours. So I go and turn on all the lights in the house, you know, and try to like avoid seeing this thing. So usually when I would get home first, I'd start making dinner. Um, so in the kitchen at my parents' house, um, it's uh, all open, but there's counter like an L-shaped counter. And at the corner, there's the cooktop. So I'm standing at the cooktop, like heating up water and... I looked up and I saw it and it was maybe 10 feet away from me and I looked right at him. Like, and I knew he was looking at me and I was so, like, it knocked the wind out of me. I was so scared. I ran out the back door and, like, burner on, locked myself out of the house in October and, like, no shoes in my school uniform. So about 15 minutes later, my dad comes driving up and he sees me in the driveway just like shaking and crying and he's like what the hell just happened i was like dad i saw it in the kitchen like i looked right at it i don't even know how to describe it it like it was the most horrible feeling i told my dad everything at that point everything that i'd been seeing and uh he said you know it's been happening to me too i didn't know the full details of it again until years later but that year at christmas we had family over and you know everybody gets you know, kind of sloshed and starts talking and and stuff. So my dad brings this up. And my sister had already gone to bed and stuff, and I was old enough to stay up with everybody, so I got to hear all this stuff. My dad starts saying, like, oh, yeah, we've been seeing, like, a like a shadow person around. My aunt and my uncle went around and blessed the house and, like, banished it, basically, and we never saw it after that. Several years later, we were... Uh, standing around in the kitchen reminiscing with my dad and he was telling us his experience with everything uh he was telling us about how he was seeing it in the backyard and uh, he's got a shop back there so he would frequently be out working on like woodworking projects and things and uh he would see this thing like sitting on the roof like crouched you know um like arms around uh his knees kind of like sitting in like the eaves and he would always look up and think, like, God, it looks like there's somebody sitting up there. And he would just see it out of the corner of his eye all the time. And it was more annoying to him because he would think that there's somebody on his roof, you know. And so he started kind of turning around the experience in his mind and the fact that my sister was seeing it. And then much later on, the fact that he knew I was seeing it. So 
At the time, he worked nights when GTE was still around, but he worked in the design department uh, on the night shift. So he was there from about like 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. And uh, he worked on the floor by himself. Now, he would listen to late night radio because there's, you know, no Spotify or CD players or anything like that. This is the 90s. But he would always listen to Coast to Coast with Art Bell. And um, so one night he was listening to Coast to Coast and Art Bell had a guy on there uh, talking about shadow people. And, and he was describing this shadow person as a man with a black hat and a black coat and black boots. So my dad immediately gets on to Art Bell's website and starts like looking at the pictures that people have sent in. And it's the exact same thing that we were seeing. And I mean, I'm even like, I'm a little short of breath talking about it. Like, cause it's, it really was like a really horrible like experience for several years. And uh, the fact that all three of us were seeing it, my mom never saw anything. My dad's always kind of been of the opinion that his side of the family has had more of the attuning to this sort of strange experiences. My dad had had a, a few other experiences in the house also. Um, that like, obviously, this is secondhand information. But right after his mom died, my grandmother, uh, he was in the shop. And um, the shop is right next to a road. So we kind of we tried to rule out everything <laughs> before we like dismiss this experience. But he has a row of clamps that are hanging on like a piece of two by four that's hanging out of the or sticking out of the wall. And they're just kind of stuck on there just based on like friction, you know, um, and they can swing a little bit. But, you know, if you touch one and it swings, it stops swinging after a certain amount of time. There was one clamp in the middle of all these clamps that was swinging back and forth like a pendulum. And that like is impossible unless something is forcing it to do that. You know, physics dictates that it will stop. And um, but it just kept going and going and going. To the, my dad had had a video on his like ancient iPhone um, of this thing just going back and forth. And in the video, he goes, "Mom, is that you?" And it stopped. And then it started swinging again. It it was I know it was on her birthday, which is the even like that's why my dad had that idea, you know. And uh, he came into the house and he was just like, hey, guys, like, I need to show you this. And um, no, he lost it on his old phone. I was so mad. Like, cause this is like iPhone 3. <laughs> like, it's nothing transferred over when he, like, leapt up, like, five years in technology on getting a new phone. So he doesn't have the video anymore, unfortunately, uh, which it's, like, so like that. You know, I'm so mad about that whole like surrounding experience because I'm like god that happens every time like someone's like oh hey you had proof I'm like yeah well I had proof you know like you kind of had to be there and I was like oh it's just very frustrating to me but um but yeah it was a really really weird thing and my dad's not one of those people who like easily gets like flustered or upset or cries or anything like that but I was like shaking and like almost on the verge of tears like he was kind of happy about it because he was like oh it's my mom you know but it was also really, really weird. <laughs> so, and we checked to see if there was any like seismic activity or anything like, you know, big trucks that drove by or, you know, things like that that might have potentially caused this, but we just have no explanation for it. Like I was already super stressed out, like being in like college prep high school and like the, all the stuff that you were required to do and all the pressure that's put on you. And then also having that happening 
was just like destroying my brain. And um, my sister had basically uh, echoed the same type of experience. So to me, it was almost like torturous to have that extra level of anxiety and not feel safe in your own home. From a psychological standpoint, that kind of speaks to like just not feeling safe in general, you know? And so maybe that's like an extra representation of like anxiety, you know, and and the fact that I'm seeing it in other things and that things that might not even be there led me to be like, hey, maybe I need therapy, <laughs> you know, and uh, which ended up being a good thing. But it was it was pretty damaging for me um, and, and my sister as well to be not not feel safe in your in your own space. I mean, I've shared it with skeptical people. And uh, I usually get, you know, like a like a write off joke kind of thing, which is fine because it sounds insane. Um, so but I'm not trying to like make believers out of people. I just like that's the experience that I had. And it's weird. And uh, so I usually like bring it up like at like happy hour or something. I'll be like, this is a fun party trick because like I'm going to scare all y'all and you're going to be afraid to go home. And this is like pre-internet. So it's not like, you know, I saw it online and now I'm seeing it in real life, you know. It wasn't like, you know, an alien abduction or anything like that. Um, like, you know, you hear those things on TV. It was like, I never, I never heard anything like that. And it just happened. And then all of a sudden, years later, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I saw that too. Or like, you know, someone in Kansas, they're like, oh, yeah, no, shadow people have been following me around my whole life. And like, <laughs> it's, it's that the fact that other people were, were seeing it that I didn't even know made it like a little bit more credible. I've come across a lot of skeptical people over the years and I don't really care if they believe me or not. It's just, it happened. Like I subscribe to quite a few like paranormal uh, communities and like subreddits and things like that. And I think it is helpful for some people to hear that they're not alone in their experience. In the same vein though, I think that there are a lot of people out there who are so quick to go to the paranormal that they're leaving out the logical it can be it can be damaging for the people who um, are kind of looking for that. You know, they're looking for a reason to believe in something that maybe isn't there. So it can be enriching, but like ultimately, like it's more of a party trick. I think to me at this point, just because not everybody's going to believe you, but the people who latch on super hard to it, it's it's not doing them any favors either. Like everybody wants to be a little more important. So the shared experience can help to a degree, but I think more often than not, people just need therapy, you know, but I hope to never have to encounter that again. Now it's time for Spirited Discussion, the part of the show where I answer listener messages, offer paranormal advice, or discuss anything interesting in the news. Today's message comes from Micah Yanessa. I actually read her story in episode two, The Soul of Terry Elosco. That episode was about coincidences, and so she messaged me about some crazy stuff that happened in New Orleans recently. She writes, Don't know if you heard about the coincidences happening in New Orleans. The theory is that it started with the two bodies that have not been removed from the Hard Rock Hotel that collapsed. There were two bodies run over by floats. The last time that happened here was in 2008. And last night, it was the same float. Also, two riders fell off today during the parade, and two spectators on a parade route fell off a balcony. So bizarre. 
Thanks for messaging me, Micah. So back in October of 2019, a hard rock hotel that was being constructed in New Orleans collapsed and it killed three workers and injured 18. And two of the bodies are still in the remains because city officials claim that they're irretrievable until the site is completely demolished. And part of the reason that hasn't happened yet is because there's a lot of back and forth between insurance companies and the construction companies and the hard rock hotel as to who is going to pay for the demolition, which was estimated to cost upwards of $11 million. So taking all of that into consideration, and then we see these deaths happening in twos, people started wondering if there was a connection. So let's say that there is a connection and somehow the bodies that remain are causing these deaths. If that's the case, that's actually pretty malicious if you think about it, you know. They're seeking revenge on innocent people because their bodies have not been cared for yet. You know, I don't know anything about the victims in the hotel, but I don't think that their spirits would intentionally want to do that. So I'm going to rule out that these bodies are causing this curse. I feel like I have heard of stories where misfortune happens to people because a spirit is very angry or unwell, right? Um, You know, like that whole saying of if you build something on an Indian burial ground, you're going to have a lot of bad luck because it's disrespectful, that sort of thing. You know, we're all familiar with that idea. I think that it is absolutely terrible that these bodies have not been retrieved yet and that it's been months. You know, it's, it's disrespectful not only to the victims, but to the victims' families. I don't know. I just don't want to believe that other lives would be taken to make a point. You know, I'm curious to know what the people involved with the Hard Rock Hotel and the um, the demolition, if any of them are aware of all of these deaths going on. And, you know, if they're also wondering if these deaths were caused by the bodies that are left in the building. And I'm curious to know if that's going to make them move faster or if they are just going to ignore it. Um, And if they do, I really, really hope that no more lives are taken. I'd love to know what all of you think about this. You can send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to help boost the show's visibility. And head to patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the perks you'll receive by supporting the show. Do you believe in curses? Let me know at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to my guests, Lynn Pacificar and Michelle Davis. Bewitched in Seeky Horror was written by Sam. All other stories and music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com. <laughs>